welcome to Urban Principal, leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAndersonConsulting.com. And now here's your host, Brett Anderson. And welcome back to another podcast. We are on episode 167, season four, and this episode is the physical environment. This is the one I was actually going to do last time. I was a little bit under the weather, and hopefully I sounded okay uh, in the recording, I couldn't tell a lot of difference myself, uh, but I'm starting to feel better now and just a little bit of a head thing, but it's feeling much, much better. And still working with our new dog, our Kolu Husky is keeping me extremely busy and my wife busy, so she has been a lot of fun and high energy for sure. And this is called The Physical Environment, and I started thinking, I found a random cost an article in uh, ASCD. Uh, Association of Supervision and Curriculum Development of Educational Leadership, uh, the December 2022, January 2023 issue, volume 80, uh, number four. Uh, I have been still going through this uh, issue, finding some things as well, uh, and many of the things that I go through. And I love, uh, they have Doug Fisher and Nancy Frey who do um, monthly articles or every time an issue comes out, uh, smaller articles, but they're very good. And this one was on trend, uh, tending to learning environments. Uh, so I thought it might be uh, nice to talk about the physical environment. We've talked about some of that on our show since we talk about culture um, and the undertones of the culture and everything that makes up your culture and how to create a positive culture. But the physical environment itself uh, can make a difference in your students. And I want to push it to the school as well. Uh, this article tends to talk about the classroom, but let's jump into the article a little bit. Uh, how the physical makeup of classrooms affects learning. And I would also say the buildings as well. Classroom climate has a direct influence on student learning. A classroom that is psychologically intimidating inhibits the free exchange of ideas, while one that is too noisy or unstructured can hinder focus and deep thinking. However, less attention is given to how the physical environment communicates communicates who and what is valued. The National Center on Safe Supportive Learning Environments 2022, using findings from the U.S. Department of Education School Climate Surveys, reports that the physical environment influences student behavior and achievement, as well as teacher absenteeism. Uh, That's something we need to look at, isn't it? Uh, We must attend to the physical environment of schools, especially for students who face systemic obstacles, including those living in poverty. And one of my buildings as principal for 10 years was a high-poverty building. We've talked about that before as well. And we did a lot to influence the building and the learning spaces of kids and how important it is for the success of everyone, uh, including the staff, as they say in the research. Um, The physical environment influences teacher absenteeism. And this is definitely a time when you want teachers coming to your building And you want them coming back every day. It is so hard to get subs right now. And everybody's been so creative in coming up with ways uh, to fill in for subs. And the best thing you can do is have a building that everybody wants to come to. And even the subs love subbing at. And want to continue to come back if there are any openings. That's the ideal situation. Uh, Let's continue with their article. It says, The Influence of Learning Spaces. The psychologist Abraham Maslow's theory on the hierarchy of needs has had a far-reaching influence on education. One of its less well-known experiments is recounted by Matthews and Soistman, uh, 2020, in their article on the influence of library spaces. 
Maslow showed photographs of people's faces to participants in one or of two conditions in a well-lit and pleasant room or in a janitor's closet. In the nicer room, the authors write, people interpreted the faces in the photos as filled with energy and well-being. The same faces were seen as fatigued and sickly when viewed in the rundown room. In other words, participants' perceptions were influenced by the physical surroundings. Uh, and that was one of the things we did uh, big time with the schools I was in. I was always in, uh, working on that physical environment and external and internal of the building and making it a more inviting environment for everybody to come into. Uh, my wife helped with that. Aesthetics were big. And me having a former uh, undergrad art degree as well has influenced that because I always wanted to make sure that things were uh, looking good and had the right conditions for, as they were saying, learning to take place. Uh, they'd go on about physical conditions and equity. School leaders serving students living in poverty know how important it is to attract and retain highly qualified teachers. But school buildings in disrepair signal to community members that they are not valued. The result is often poor morale among employees and less family involvement. Student demographics are often cited as a reason that teachers don't bid for positions at their schools. Yet Horing's 2009 study of more than 500 elementary teachers found that the condition of the facility outweighed other factors, such as class size, uh, when identifying work conditions that figure into selecting a position. In fact, in other research, school condition was more than twice as important as student demographic variables and 30% more important than a salary. Uh, so the working conditions and the environment itself. Uh, and that was taken from Uline in 2010. A clean and safe environment is not superfluous, the researchers state, it is crucial, but underrepresented element, it is an underrepresented element of equity in education. Uh, and that is so true. Uh, I also go along with the, the broken windows theory, and that was around a long time ago with the police, that when you have old abandoned buildings or buildings that are in disrepair, they tend to bring the neighborhood down and what happens is other buildings and surrounding areas uh, tend to follow that so uh, if you can get rid of those and uh, uh, fix broken windows and uh, make the building nicer and when I first got to the first building I was at Indian Hill I ended up uh, uh, changing the colors to the outside of the building it was still uh, early 60s it was built in like 59 57 and it had that orange uh, orange trim, orange metal panels, and highly dated. We painted those uh, brown color, and we used a kind of a, a light cream in there. Uh, did some things to update the exterior and to make it look more modern, as well as did all kinds of things like landscaping. So I'm, I'm personally into landscaping, so we spent time doing landscaping. <coughs> Excuse me. And did some things to brush up the grounds had kids help me at different times with some of the grounds, did a garden out front, did a, guard, a reading garden out back with some paths, pathways. The staff even helped create that. And we put in a fence and we did a lot of things that were uh, added flowers and added some nice uh, reading areas and areas to go use as outdoor classroom type spaces. And a lot of things to clean up the building. And as we started cleaning up the building and the exterior of the building, taking down uh, trees, uh, uh, cutting shrubs, and, and uh, manicuring the shrubs, 
and keeping the grounds looking better, the houses around it, around the school, tended to increase and improve the look of their uh, grounds themselves. And anytime we saw graffiti, I immediately called the city or the district and had it removed on surrounding buildings uh, near the school uh, and things that would help us to uh, continue that improved look and condition of the building. And that was just the exterior. The inside, we did the same thing, uh, learning spaces to make it uh, safe and uh, warm and inviting for kids, uh, nice office areas and painting of walls and uh, bringing in some color and uh, a lot of decorations and things to improve the environment as well as the look of the facility and teachers were allowed to do the same things to their classrooms. I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit in their article. Uh, let's see, there were a couple things I highlighted too. Uh, founded in Italy in the years following World War II, Reggio Emilia, an influential constructivist approach to learning for very young children, and one of its principles is that the environment is the third teacher after educators and families. In other words, the spatial qualities of a classroom can support the learning that occurs when its walls, within its walls, if they are carefully designed. I think more uh, consideration is being taken as uh, buildings are designed now, newer buildings, and the usable spaces, and how our space is going to be used, and making them more collaborative spaces, and depending on what you're trying to build as a culture for that school, uh, those things are being taken into account, but they can make a large, a, a, a big difference uh, for sure. Unfortunately, classroom design in our schools is too often devolves into classroom decorating, uh, and they go on about bulletin boards and commercially prepared products uh, that tell children they are not unique and so on, neon colors, and, uh, and they say this can provoke anxiety for some students, especially those who have experienced trauma, and classrooms filled with too many objects leave many feeling as if their presence is less important than the teacher's favorite possessions. And you can uh, think of elementary classrooms. In some classrooms, I've uh, been in and had teachers that were using every single space on the wall and every single space within that classroom. And sometimes it's almost overwhelming with the, the amount of things that are up, so I can understand what they're saying, almost a distraction. Instead of uh, uh, clearly designed student-teacher anchor charts and uh, things that are more uh, instructional and collaborative in nature and created by the class. And there's ownership within those kind of things that are up on the walls and help to create those spaces. And then I've seen reading nooks and reading areas and things like that and cool-down areas and things that are actually more of a friendly space for kids. And there's a lot of different things you can do within that, too. Uh, let's see, I'm going to go on a little bit. The Australia Children's Education and Care Quality Authority provides expectations for how teachers should use physical spaces, stating that schools and classrooms should foster encounters and encourage communication and relationships, uh, create environments filled with natural light, order, and wonder, invite children to delve deeper, investigate, and represent their learning through a range of medium. Um, and then they say a clean and orderly environment is crucial, but underrepresented element of equity in education. Uh, that's something we addressed a little bit as we touched on the poverty piece. And then they get into uh, 
creating more of an invitational space. And then they get they gave some questions too for, for leaders and educators maintaining classrooms. How does this classroom encourage students to make choices and learn decision-making? How does this classroom support students' sense of security? Is student work displayed? And what role do students have in selecting work for display? Uh, I often would ask about classroom work and, and actually, actually ask students about classroom work when I did my look-fors and coaching visits. And the students loved having me in the classrooms and asking about their learning targets and things that they were learning and seeing some of their work and reading some of their work. So they love to have their work up and they do like to show it off and uh, tell you about how they came up with some of their ideas and the creative writing and some of the things that we would see within the classrooms. Uh, they also go on to say, how does this classroom encourage collaboration among students? And how do classroom materials reflect the interest, experiences, and cultures of students in the community? <coughs> Excuse me. And then they go on to uh, talk about moving from a space to a place. And they talk about uh, a study of in the study of library spaces, Matthews and Sostman, again in 2020, noted that school communities are swayed by our surroundings. The people who use a space can form attachments to it because of their relationships contained within. They see themselves and their identities represented in it and find the space to be useful and positive. The way we create a learning environment with ourselves and our students in, our mi in mind can transform it from a space to a place, one that is meaningful to students personally and emotionally. Um, and they also go on and they kind of, the way they end their articles, they say educators deserve to work in places that bring out the best in them. I would totally agree with that. And, and uh, by reflecting the vibrancy of the communities we are honored to serve, we can do a better job of inviting them in. And the more you can bring community in and um, help have them have ownership in some of the school, which can be done through different spaces and through the creation of um, productive, safe learning environments. Uh, it can be very constructive. And I think one of the things that helped as we developed the focus school, my second school, uh, we actually, which we actually moved from a diff uh, two different locations and uh, still kept the same concepts in mind as we moved and we developed into and evolved our culture into a culture that is constantly uh, improving and looking at learning spaces for kids and that became part of our culture and how are our kids learning what can we do to help them learn better uh, some of those learning community concepts of the DeFores were built in because we started to uh, not take our spaces for granted and I had teachers setting up cafe spaces especially the older kids which gave them choices in areas that they wanted to uh, learn I had uh, teachers setting up uh, areas for uh, special needs students and students that have um, more fidgeting and were able to use different kinds of rocker chairs or different kinds of uh, uh, stability balls and different things that would actually help them to stay in class and stay uh, physically learning. Um, they built uh, library areas, learning areas, uh, centers that were actually uh, more effective for uh, student learning and rotations as they worked with the students and different learning spaces within their spaces 
to make it more inviting and comfortable for students. And it's extremely hard to build some of these things in, but as you start to do that and start to look at how you're working on your culture and the kind of environment you're trying to create externally and internally, you can infuse this into uh, a concept that you're constantly striving to improve. Uh, School Culture Rewired by Steve Grunart and uh, Todd Whitaker, How to Define, Assess, and Transform It. Uh, they talk about rewiring a culture is like turning around an ocean liner. It takes a long time, uh, and it does take a long time. It takes uh, years, at, at, especially if you're uh, changing some of those internal um, norms and things that you want to uh, move. And our big one was having a creative environment for all, including uh, teachers and students. So we really worked on the environment, and the environment made a difference for everyone there. Uh, teachers wanting to come every day, the teachers uh, wanting to be there, the kids wanting to be there, the kids not wanting to miss enrichment classes. All those things uh, were evident in the schools um, that we created, and they they were uh, shown in the attendance of everyone and the ability of everyone to have ideas and share ideas and look for ways to explore uh, new concepts and ways to improve student learning. And that was part of the norm of our culture. So that was built into our culture. And you know my big one that I've used forever that I had with staff was allowing the teachers to try new things without it counting against them. And that was a big part of my culture and philosophy, uh, which gave them ownership and empowered them and helped them to build more of a collaborative environment. So as you're working with your staff and your students, think about some of the things within your environment and think about the things that you can do to improve your environment to keep students coming to school, wanting to come to school, giving them the kind of education that they deserve uh, no matter where they are and uh, uh, no matter where they come from those are the big factors and that it's something you can affect as a principal I always tried to improve our environment and every year even I tried to do a lot of different things to the physical environment uh, that were improvements and changes so that every year they came back to some of these new things and it was good for the staff and it was good for the students and it helped everyone to uh, continue to be uh, empowered and to be a part of the vision. So think about your environment, think about your culture, and think about how you can infuse these and continue to create the best learning environments for your students and for your school. And as we wrap up tonight, I want to go ahead and end with a quote tonight. Uh, when a flower doesn't bloom, you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower. And that was Alexander Din. And as always, keep promoting effective leadership through productive culture changes. And until next time, let's remember to stay positive. You've been listening to Urban Principle. Leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAnderson Consulting.com.